VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back. You are listening to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we talk about Bitcoin. We talk about the decentralized revolution that the world is going through, and we look at it through the lens and the convergence of politics, finance, and technology to try to understand what the heck is going on in this crazy, crazy world. Um, you know, I try to bring to you some education so you can understand really what's going on behind the scenes, because, of course, you were never taught it and you're being misled all the time. I try to bring to you the latest breaking news. And, of course, I try to bring some interesting guests on so you can hear from some other people but me talking all the time. And I am joined in the studio right now with uh, one of my good friends, Mike Alfred. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Mark. It was good to meet you in Miami recently. Yeah, yeah. We just got to meet each other recently. We've been kind of following each other on uh, Twitter for a while. And uh, we got to hang out there in uh, in Miami. Go to go to go to some uh, some of the parties together. <laughs> that was a uh, that was a, f- a fun way to get going. I enjoyed that. Um, I think we met at the Unchained Capital Party and then the Gemini Party, or whatever. But you know what's cool about that is um, social media. You know, um, I have a daughter who's uh, just graduated high school, and um, all her friends' parents are like um, so eager to send their kids off to college, and I'm just not a big believer in that. And, and there's certainly things you need a college degree for, but unless you need that, I'm, I'm just not a big believer in it. And um, I would ask them like, you know, okay, what's, you know, what do you see as a big benefit? And most of them would always go back to not the education, um, the experiences, they lean on that, but then they lean on the connections. They're going to get the connections. And I'm like, dude, have you heard of Twitter? Cause like, mm-hmm. I've like met everybody in the world on Twitter. <laughs> like Mike and I, we were like friends on Twitter before we were like friends in real life, you know, it's pretty amazing. I'm sure you use it the same way. I thought it was overvalued for most of the time I use it. It wasn't until last summer when I left Nidig that for the first time I tried to actually engage with the platform every day. And now I see how valuable it is because I've met uh, maybe hundreds of people uh, through Twitter just over the last 12 months. It's opened up a whole bunch of doors. It's allowed me to invest in a couple of new Bitcoin companies. I joined a couple of boards, uh, all from Twitter. And uh, that surprised me because I used to think it was kind of 
a foo-foo thing that people did. It was sort of a waste of time for CEOs to be engaging with social media, but I've seen the light now, Mark. And uh, you came right up to me at a, at a party and you, you knew who I was, I knew who you were, and it's all because of Twitter. So Yeah. Do you think do you think it's changed? So like um, obviously like you have network effects, right? So the bigger the network gets, the more valuable it gets. And so um, maybe it was kind of more foofy as you, in your words, or not not as usable. But now today, since everybody's on there using it more, it's it's become more valuable. I think it depends on your interest graph. So before Bitcoin, you know, Twitter was less interesting. I think the Bitcoin community is one of the most rabid communities on the internet, and Twitter is sort of like one of the primary places where people involved in Bitcoin come together and share information and build relationships. And so I think for me, a lot of it was just becoming kind of a, a full-time Bitcoiner in a sense, like really embracing that as part of my identity as something I wanted to talk about and think about every single day. Um, and when I, when that switch flipped, Twitter all of a sudden made more sense, right? And the community here has been incredible. I mean, look, I, I sometimes get in battles with, with people. I mean, that just seems to be part of the, the space. It's funny how many friends I have that are like enemies of each other, mm -hmm. uh, but that's just yeah. sort of the fun part of, of, of using Twitter. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to battle, uh, you know, not, not in a bad way, but in a good way, because uh, good ideas are won through discussion, right? And so we need to kind of, I call it like verbally sparring, right? We need to spar back and forth and, and in, a, in a good way. And um, we learn from that. A lot of times I'll see somebody's post and I'm like, oh, wow, that, 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 that's so good. That's, that's, that, that's right. I hadn't thought of that. And then I'll just read the comments of people sparring back and forth, debating, if you will, right? And I'm like, ooh, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. So, uh, you know, it's important to be able to have that discussion and, and it's worked good for that. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, I didn't start using Twitter until 2018. Um, I was in, I was in uh, Hawaii. It was January 2018. And um, I was on the North Shore of Oahu. We were there for a month. And I woke up in the morning and my phone was like making this like weird alarm. And uh, I think it was seven in the morning, something like, like pretty early. And I grabbed my phone and I look at it and it says, uh, imminent threat, inbound missile alert. This is not a test. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then like I look at my wife and like she's got the same alert on her phone. And we're like, like and this was right at the height of like the whole North Korea thing with Trump and like North Korea is going to fire this missile and here we are and it's like alert inbound missile imminent threat not a not a you know not a not a test and uh, and then that was it and then there was like no news about it you could turn on the TV jump on the internet there was nothing and uh, people were freaking out you, all the neighbors were jumping in their cars and taking off although where you're going to go hide on an island right um, and my business partner at the time um, he was on Twitter I wasn't. And so he jumped on Twitter and then all the information was on Twitter. Right. And like, I couldn't find any information. And so that was like, okay, I started on Twitter and it's great how that information goes, but let's, uh, let's jump past the, that. That's some fun stuff. But, um, some of the things that's been going on in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space the last couple of weeks, uh, it's been fun to see happening on Twitter. Well, fun, depending on what side of the ball you're on, but we're starting to see, uh, crazy liquidity crisis happening and almost like this domino effect, uh, I, maybe starting with Terra Luna and now going through into other platforms, um, Celsius, Voyager, I don't know, maybe Genesis, BlockFi, Nexo, and we don't know how far this gets. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I know you've been like pretty vocal and outspoken on that. Like what's your take on that, on the big picture? And then we can kind of dive into that. Uh, my, at a very high level, I think we're at the tail end of like a 10 to 12 year kind of fed fueled bull market where interest rates have been held at a very low level for too long. There's been too much money creation. There's been too much risk taking. Everybody's way out on the risk spectrum. Um, and so 
even before you get to crypto, I mean, you just look at what happened to Tiger Global uh, this year. You look at the the decline in some of these large cap technology stocks, including some like Facebook and Netflix that were viewed as kind of Teflon uh, up until about the last kind of call it nine to, to 12 months. Um, and so I just think we're seeing what happens at the end of every liquidity cycle where there's this cascade of folks that get liquidated because they convinced themselves um, that the world was going to continue on in the same trajectory that it had been on for the last 10 or 15 years. And that's the problem with an unstable uh, monetary policy. I mean, I, I do fault the Fed and politicians. I mean, they're, they, they didn't see inflation coming and then they don't understand that all of the activities that they've engaged in, including zero interest rate policy, quantitative easing, uh, stimulus, et cetera, you can give out checks, to, uh, you know, 600 bucks or 1200 bucks to people. And then you can lie to them and say that won't cause inflation. But the reality is they've basically hollowed out the, the middle class and, and, and the poor in this country um, through this policy. Um, and so that, that filters over into crypto. You know, people can't get a yield because uh, interest rates are zero. They can't put their money in a savings account. And so they become deluded into thinking that it's okay to deposit money into a platform like Celsius, which is essentially an unregulated shadow bank offering unsustainable yields in an environment where yields are basically zero. And so the first red flag for something like Celsius is just that if you see yields of 17% when your bank is offering 20 bips, like you might want to ask yourself, how much risk is I, am I taking? And then when you see a CEO that engages um, in essentially weekly uh, you know, conversations with the community where he repeatedly lies uh, about the risk that we're taking, fails to disclose uh, risk, uh, irresponsible risk that led to loss of client capital, and then consistently makes sort of irresponsible decisions across the business, you know, you shouldn't be surprised. My, my current view on, on this, Mark, is that Celsius is probably one of the worst uh, actors in this entire ecosystem. It's completely, it was completely predictable, in my opinion, that it eventually was going to have problems. I also knew that BlockFi had, had made bat poor decisions as well. The difference seems to be that the investor community completely lost respect uh, and trust in Alex Mashinsky and the Celsius team, somehow, some way, the, the sort of inexperienced team at BlockFi managed to hold on to some uh, credibility in the market, and therefore they're able to kind of get bailouts at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. Uh, I want to I want to break that down a little bit more and dig into some of this, including like the short squeeze that's like maybe they're trying to form up and the credit extension that's been thrown to BlockFi, what that consolidation means. Um, I got a quote from Lennon that I want to read to you as well that I think helps sum up kind of where we're at. Um, and uh, maybe talk about, you know, who's swimming naked to in, in kind of like a Warren Buffett type uh type of quote. So anyway, you're listening to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution the world's going through. We're talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Of course, I'm in the studio with Mike Alfred. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Alfred. And uh, we got a lot more to cover when we get back. So don't go away. It's that time of year again. The U.S. Mint is making the new 2024 American Silver Eagle and American Gold Eagle coins, and there's no better time to buy than now. Gold rose 23% in the past 13 months, and silver's up 27%. Plus, they're both still climbing. Get the newest gold and silver coins of the year from my trusted friends at Universal Coin and Bullion by calling 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Their company president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is America's gold expert, and he recently met with financial guru Steve Forbes to discuss trends in 
precious metals, and both experts agree that gold could hit 2500 an ounce in 2024. That's nearly a 25% gain from today's price per ounce. If you want to make a sound money investment, then add gold and silver to your portfolio now and keep adding as part of your regular investment strategy. Gold's been used as money for over 2,500 years. Call Universal Coin and Bullion at 1-800-UCB-GOLD. That's 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Or check out universalcoin.com slash Mark Moss. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about what's happening in the cryptocurrency space. And I'm in the studio with Mike Alfred. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Alfred. And uh, 
you were explaining, Mike, how um, you know this is basically kind of the 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 end effects of this long term bull market, the longest bull market we've been in history, and what happens. And um, it made me think of this Lenin quote that I wanted to pull up real quick. Um, Vladimir Lenin uh, from uh, Russia, not someone that we should uh, model after, uh, but he said, uh, "quote um, the." The best way to destroy the capitalist system was to debauch the currency by a continuing process of inflation. Governments confiscate secretly and unobserved an important wealth of their citizens. Um, by this method, not, not only confiscate, but they confiscate arbitrarily. So through inflation and deflation. And then, and then uh, at the end, he says, as the inflation proceeds and the real value of the currency fluctuates wildly from month to month, the ultimate foundation of capitalism becomes so utterly disordered as to be almost meaningless and the process of wealth getting degenerates into a gamble and a lottery. And so I think that's kind of where we're at, where it's like, um, you know, at the end of this long-term debt cycle, through all this inflation that's happened, um, there's no yield left anymore, right? The interest rates are down at zero. They've pushed everybody out onto this crazy risk, uh, risk curve to try to get any kind of yield they, ha they can. But ultimately, they've turned it into a, a generation gamble. And so now everybody has to gamble. And I think to your point, they think everything just goes up in perpetuity and it doesn't. And they, and they find out, unfortunately, they find out the hard way. Yeah. And if you were raised in the 1950s or 60s, right, um, you were told, hey, save money, buy government bonds, put it in the bank, right, earn, earn more than you spend. And that whole model was flipped on its head because the Fed changed the rules. The, the rule for the last 12 years was beg, borrow and steal as much capital as you can get, take as mm -hmm. much risk as possible, use as much leverage as possible. It doesn't matter because if you mess up, we will bail you out. So that Fed put incentivized increasingly risky behavior and only some people understood the rules of the game, right? So when people were over levered going into the COVID situation, in the spring of 2020, guess what the government did? They basically bailed those people out with PPP loans. So these companies got $5 million, $10 million, $20 million PPP loans that were forgiven. And yeah, some of the employees got to keep their $15 an hour job for an extra six months, but the owners right. of those firms should have been wiped out. Right. by that irresponsible leverage that was on those firms. So I, I, look, I think when the Fed manipulates the market like this, nobody knows which prices to trust. Nobody knows which rules of the game to follow. And so people got sucked into things like Celsius where, yeah, if you can't get a reasonable return in your bank, you might, you might be convinced that even though it makes no sense, something like Celsius might work. Yeah. What about, um, what about the the Wall Street Raiders, uh, whatever we want to call them, right? I mean, uh, they've been they've been they've been at this game for a long time. George Soros became infamously rich, making a billion dollars a day by breaking the peg of the Bank of England. And so it seems like Wall Street traders or Raiders they're going to want to always want to go after these. You know, they smell a little blood in the water. They want to attack. And so um, I don't want to dig into this, but it looks like that's there's uh, some a big Wall Street fund, Blue Street or Blue, Blue Sky is going after the BOJ right now, which is pretty interesting. But uh, they want to be a George Soros. But back to the crypto space, it's almost like they spot these things like uh, Terra Luna or Celsius, see how they're over leveraged, understand they're over leveraged, and they can start to see where their liquidation levels are. And they just start hunting those liquidation levels. Um, I think that's what happened with Terra Luna. It looks like that was what's happening with Celsius, and they keep trying to lower their liquidation levels. But of course, everybody knows where they're at, so it's like the the, the Raiders want to keep pushing that down. Do you do you see something like that happening? Do you think that's what happened? Yeah, I mean, look, that's the essence of capitalism, right? Markets systematically hunt down and kill any sort of weakness. So if you if you have weakness in any form, the full extent of any capital cycle 
right? If it's allowed to happen, which again, the Fed is sort of is sort of uh, put a pause on normal cycles in some senses, right? We're supposed to suspend disbelief and believe that bull markets can go on forever with no interruption. But in a typical cycle, all of the weakest players at some point get taken out. When times are good, right, you can get away with all kinds of shenanigans. But as soon as the tide goes out, you find out who's swimming naked. And I think that's what happened with Terra Luna, right? Like it was a weak system. It was sort of designed to fail from the beginning. And so it only took uh, a one powerful actor who identified the risk in that system and put a little bit of pressure. You just lean a little bit on the weakest part of that system and the whole thing collapses. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Japan's in a tough spot. I mean, the yen actually used to be a safety trade. If you remember back in the last financial crisis, the last major one, people bought the yen and it actually went up, uh, you know, over a five or 10 year period. Recently now, they've got to print a lot of yen just to protect their bond market and their bond market may go down before our bond market. And obviously we have huge advantages in terms of being the global reserve currency that they don't have. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. I, I actually hope that that doesn't happen because uh, I think it'll end up being bad for everybody. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time. It's, it's uh, I think more um, if, or I'm sorry, more when, not if, but back to, uh, back to kind of the, the crypto space a little bit. So obviously Terra Luna got taken down, you know, you, you said it's uh, capitalism doing its thing, which, which it is. And um, I agree with that. I'm, I'm not super happy about it because like, you know, some rich wall street guy made an extra couple bucks and he ruined the life of a lot of people, um, but that's, that's capitalism. It's more, it's, it's not their fault. Don't hate the player, hate the game, right? It's the game that enables them to play that. Um, it's this fiat money system that, and it's the fed um, behind them that's enabled them to get to this point. And so I think we have to put the blame where the blame is due. Um, but, uh, you know, back to Celsius, uh, you know, they, they froze withdrawals, which was kind of the death kneel, right? They were getting a, a run on the bank, which is always going to happen when you're over leveraged. It's kind of like the, the free banking era that we had in the late 1800s in the United States, right? Uh, each of these banks were over levered. There wasn't enough money there. Um, they had they had to they had to uh, cut, shut down withdrawals. Um, have you seen did you see this week? They started getting like little short squeeze. They were trying to organize a, a rally on the sell token. Yeah, I mean, there's a guy named The Real Plan C who is an influencer on Twitter with 100,000 plus followers who told everybody it was safe to use uh, Celsius up until the last moment. There were other influencers like this Invest Answers guy who literally had Mashinsky on days before the withdrawal shut down, basically giving him a platform to continue to spew all kinds of potentially, definitely misrepresentations, but, but potentially fraudulent misrepresentations about the state of the platform. Mm -hmm. to customers. And so that's, that's bad stuff. These same people who um, did that are now trying to organize a short squeeze on an essentially worthless token, which is fine. That's a free market too. But like the token has nothing to do with whether or not uh, people are going to get their money back. So I'm really more focused on the underlying solvency and li liquidity issues experienced by the corporate entity Celsius network and whether or not the sort of half a million or so depositors into that institution ever see any of their money back. My, my current view is unless there is a bailout, unless there's some sort of acquisition of all of the assets and liabilities of Celsius, that it almost certainly will go into chapter 11 uh, over the next, call it month or two, and then it will take at least a year to start distributing assets to the underlying customers. That's what I'm focused on. I think the short squeeze is a total sideshow. Yeah, I would agree. And, uh, you know, that, that sounds like the most probable um, outcome, right? They've already brought on the people to kind of help that wind down. I think there's a difference of uh, 
money they had in custody versus money that was being earning yield. So then they'll probably get divided up between that a little bit better. Um, there's a chance. There's a chance you might get some of your money back. I wouldn't hold your breath, but there's a chance. It might be pennies on the dollar. Um, we'll see how that shakes out. I want to talk more about this BlockFi and this credit from FTX. I think that's kind of interesting. I want to talk about that in a minute. I'm in the studio with um, Mike Alfred. You can find him at Mike Alfred on Twitter. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution. Be back with that and more in a minute. So don't go away. I'll be right back. It's that time of year again. The U.S. Mint is making the new 2024 American Silver Eagle and American Gold Eagle coins, and there's no better time to buy than now. Gold rose 23% in the past 13 months, and silver's up 27%. Plus, they're both still climbing. Get the newest gold and silver coins of the year from my trusted friends at Universal Coin and Bullion by calling 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Their company president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is America's gold expert, and he recently met with financial guru Steve Forbes to discuss trends in precious metals. And both experts agree that gold could hit 2,500 an ounce in 2024. That's nearly a 25% gain from today's price per ounce. If you want to make a sound money investment, then add gold and silver to your portfolio now and keep adding as part of your regular investment strategy. Gold's been used as money for over 2,500 years. Call Universal Coin and Bullion at 1-800-UCB-GOLD. That's 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Or check out universalcoin.com slash Mark Moss. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. And I am in the studio with Mike Alfred. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Alfred. And we've been talking about, uh, you know, the capitalistic system, uh, how the Fed kept things uh, too low, too long. And we ended up here and some of the damage that's being done in the cryptocurrency space. We were talking about Celsius. Uh, maybe... Maybe someone gets some of their pennies back. We'll see what happens with that. But with BlockFi, maybe they're in the same boat. Of course, the problem with all these companies is we don't know. When I was at the, the Bitcoin conference in Miami a couple months ago, I met with one of the um, one of the head guys over at Celsius, and I told him as much. I said, look, I said, I can't give you money because I have no way to quantify the risk. I said, if you could give more transparency uh, over the assets and where they're at, et cetera. I said, then I could quantify the risk and I could decide if I wanted to. And I said, I thought, I think if you would give more um, visibility or transparency, that would help your business. Apparently they didn't do that. Uh, but BlockFi kind of the same thing. We don't know, right? It's like this black box. Um, maybe they handled credit or, uh, or risk better. We don't know. Um, but it looks like they just got a uh, credit line from FTX. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. That was what? 250 million. Yeah, which, which is probably a drop in the bucket, I would imagine, right? Considering what funds they have. Yeah, well, FTX, I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried is personally worth over $20 billion, right? And he personally did a, a half a billion dollar investment into a company that I was involved with uh, last year. And so, like, the guy seems to have almost unlimited uh, liquidity at this point. And to his credit, I mean, FTX only has like two or 300 employees. So they're far smaller than most of the other venues and exchanges that have done the same amount of volume. And he's an exceptional entrepreneur. Nobody's perfect. I'm not lionizing him. I'm not saying that like everything he's doing is uh, right, right, like necessarily good for space in the long term. But you got to give him credit for helping both Voyager and, and uh, BlockFi at this point, because both of those firms might have already gone out of business without some support from him. Did he also extend a credit line to Voyager as well? Previously. Um, yes, I don't know the exact numbers there, but I've seen a lot of figures uh, flying around. But all that said, I mean, Voyager lost so much money with 3AC that the stock was down to was down like 60% at some point um, this morning. It was under 50 cents. So, I mean, the market's basically saying Voyager could go to zero at any point. Yeah, the stock. If the stock goes to zero, does that mean the company goes out of business? It, stocks rarely go to zero in the absence of bankruptcy. Right. Um, but remember, even in a bankruptcy scenario, the stock can still trade above zero for a period of time because sometimes during a reorganization, people still manage to get something uh, out of the company, depending on what the what the balance sheet looks like. But I'd much rather be a senior secured lender uh, to those companies than an equity uh, shareholder. You know, BlockFi was one of the first companies in this space to to really show cracks. So I think at the sort of beginning of 2021, there was no substantive difference in my view. Uh, and qualitatively between the risk books of Celsius and BlockFi. And BlockFi got caught in that Grayscale Bitcoin trust trade, which looked like a no-brainer, right? You buy the trust and NAV. As long as you hold it for six months, you can dump it back on the market at that premium. And for most of the history of GBTC up until that point, it traded at a 20 plus percent premium. So it looked like free money. And so kids with no risk management experience and no Wall Street experience probably would think that's fine. And they piled into that trade. They locked up a huge chunk of the deposits in BlockFi 
in that trade. And then when that premium discount flipped negative during the drawdown in the spring of last year, all of a sudden they were completely upside down. Mm -hmm. So if they had experienced a similar bank run to what Celsius just experienced over the last month or so, they would have gone busto uh, last spring. Um, but again, they had such good equity backing that they were able to continue to raise equity and plug the hole in their balance sheet. Celsius did a similar thing. They raised a round of equity uh, last summer. They didn't announce it until the fall and they used that to paper over their balance sheet. So I think the only dis difference today, Mark, honestly, is that BlockFi grew up faster. Somebody on the board or somebody in that investor base said, listen, Zach and team, you guys need to grow up. You guys need to have put your big boy pants on and actually develop some adult level risk framework so you don't lose all of the depositors money and go bankrupt. And they listen and they stop doing the same types of crap that Celsius was doing all the way up until now. I mean, you can see on chain Celsius continues to gamble uh, with yeah. depositor money, even as they've frozen the customer's assets. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, you know, I, the, the narrative that I've always kind of believed, and I guess maybe I was naive, although I wasn't using these services, but um, I always believed that they were doing over collateralized loans. And so it was supposed to be risk-free because they had over collateralized loans, but then it turns out like Celsius is losing money in this like Badger Dow attack. Like what the heck are they doing in something called Badger Dow in the first place, right? Um, and so they were like way out on the risk curve, it sounds like. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, they lost 75 million in stake count uh, because the, the protocol team managing that protocol lost the keys. They put a whole bunch of money into a mining business at the peak of the market when they have no expertise in mining. They would run around the market telling everybody that they're one of the biggest North American miners. I mean, those of us in the space just kind of chuckled and said, what the hell are these guys doing? Then they put out an S1 about a month ago to take a mining business public. It is a wasteland in the publicly traded Bitcoin mining space. I mean, there are stocks that are down 90, 95%. Some of them are going to go to zero. I know of at least one publicly traded mining company that's already about to default on some of their loans. And so this is not an environment to take a mining business public, but it speaks to the desperation of the Celsius management team because they had made so many poor decisions compounded on top of each other that they literally had to file an S1 for an illiquid mining business at the worst time in human history to do that. Um, so it's just an absolute disaster. I, I really think the people who lost money in this, they need to accept that they're probably going to lose a big chunk, probably up to 50 to 80 percent uh, of the money at, at the low end, right? If they're lucky, they'll get 80 cents on the dollar back. But instead of attacking the people who pointed out the risk here, maybe spend more time looking at all the management decisions that led to this so that you can avoid it in the next for future times, right? Because I think if you learn from this, great, maybe you won't make the same mistake again. If you spend all your time attacking folks that were just trying to call out the misdeeds, um, again, I think people are wasting their time on that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it it. It, again, it's a capitalist, capitalistic system, right? So um, in any market, right, you have short sellers and then um, they might decide to put big short positions. And then, of course, they're going to start talking about how bad that, that position is or that company is to try to drive it lower. And it's just part of the capitalist system. And so you have to identify the risk. Um, all this leverage builds up. And if you're going to put your money there and you don't know that the Celsius is going into Badger Dow or whatever this other one you're is talking about, if, then, if you're not paying attention to that, then why do you have money there? Right. And so you kind of have to figure that out. And to your point, I think they have to kind of um, take this lesson and learn. What is that saying? I never lose. I either, I either win or I learn. And so hopefully they'll learn from that. I was thinking about BlockFi just uh, in, in regards to this. And to your point, um, you know, Sam Bankman Fried, he's got a lot of money. I mean, FTX, you know, between FTX and Alameda, they seem to be pretty much in bed with uh, Tether as well. 
um, big, big, big pockets. I would imagine if um, he's putting 250 million in, he's probably not going to want to lose that 250 million. So he might have done a little bit of due diligence, and he might be prepared to do whatever it takes to keep them afloat. You think they might have dodged a bullet with the, was that was that kind of like a, a vote of confidence from SBF? Yeah, I think so. And you know, if you've got SBF on your side, there's a good chance that you won't go out of business, right? And the other thing to keep in mind is they were already out raising a, a down round in equity. Yeah, they were round. raising in a billion dollar valuation. I don't think they were finding a lot of success with that. But after an equity investor sees a vote of confidence on the debt side from an SBF, they're going to be more likely to put equity in because they can underwrite it with a lower risk of losing all of the capital that goes on. I want to make one quick distinction though, Mark, uh, on if we could just go back real quick. I think there's a big difference between Terra Luna and Celsius. Terra Luna, okay. you actually had a somebody, some sort of organization or trader attacking Terra Luna directly. In the Celsius case, it was literally just mismanagement. There was mm -hmm. no particular single incident. There was no particular single actor that, that precipitated that situation. Whereas Terra Luna, it was very clearly one uh, actor that was was moving on the on the, against that token ecosystem. Mm, that's 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 a, that's a really good point to bring up. So I appreciate that. Um, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. I'm in the studio with Mike Alfred. Uh, we are talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the cryptocurrency space. We're talking about the state of the markets with the Federal Reserve uh, driving them to a level never seen in the last uh, well the longest bull run in history. And here we are delevering the system. I want to talk a little bit more about who's swimming naked when we come back in a minute. So don't go away. It's that time of year again. The U.S. Mint is making the new 2024 American Silver Eagle and American Gold Eagle coins, and there's no better time to buy than now. Gold rose 23% in the past 13 months, and silver's up 27%. Plus, they're both still climbing. Get the newest gold and silver coins of the year from my trusted friends at Universal Coin and Bullion by calling 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Their company president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is America's gold expert, and he recently met with financial guru Steve Forbes to discuss trends in precious metals. And both experts agree that gold could hit 2,500 an ounce in 2024. That's nearly a 25% gain from today's price per ounce. If you want to make a sound money investment, then add gold and silver to your portfolio now and keep adding as part of your regular investment strategy. Gold's been used as money for over 2,500 years. Call Universal Coin and Bullion at 1-800-UCB-GOLD. That's 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Or check out universalcoin.com slash Mark Moss. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. 
VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution, specifically in the studio with Mike Alfred. And we are talking about um, the blow up in the, I don't know what we call it. Uh, CFI, centralized finance world, if we'll call it that, talking about Celsius, talking about BlockFi, talking about Voyager. Um, you know, a couple of people that I haven't heard a whole lot about, <clears throat> maybe you have, is uh, Genesis that seems to probably be behind all of these people, and then Nexo as well. What, what have you heard about them? So, I mean, Genesis is a digital currency group company. It's Barry Silbert, and that is probably one of the best financed, funded organizations in the entire space. Barry systematically buys back stock uh, every single year uh, and also pays a dividend, which is very unusually for a non-public uh, growth company. And they have some of the strongest uh, equity shareholders in the world. And so Genesis is probably the last lender that would ever uh, fail in the space. And from what I hear, they terminated 3AC and, and uh, some of the other bad counterparties uh, alongside uh, BlockFi and others, right? Pretty early. And even if they took losses, they have a big enough balance sheet across DCG that like probably not going to go anywhere. The The rumors about Nexo are much worse, right? There's a lot of conversation about whether or not Nexo is actually solvent. I don't have any smoking gun or uh, particular issue to take with Nexo like I did with Celsius, where with Celsius, I felt like it was definitely going to collapse. Uh, and I said that multiple times on the record. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that about Nexo because I don't have enough information. But if I was a depositor there, I'd be thinking about pulling my assets out. Yeah, based on based on just the chatter that I'm I'm hearing in the market. Yeah, I was I was always uh, skeptical of Nexo, <clears throat> just because uh, one, they're a European company. I forget exactly what country they're from, um, and their founder has some you know rumors about where he's from and maybe some nefarious things that he's done in the past. And that lack of transparency, <clears throat> lack of U.S. regulation, uh, concerned me. But I saw today they came out with this uh, post talking about how they're partnered up with City to do some. Uh, I don't know if they're going to try to provide liquidity to the space. They put out a press release talking about how they'd buy Celsius. I think it was just like a press release. Um, it wasn't like an actual, you know, LOI or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> so it looks like they're trying to make some noise, kind of trying to prove that maybe they're above all that. But yeah, I would probably be pretty skeptical of that as well. Yeah, my impression is that City is quite desperate to be in the space all of a sudden. I'm not sure where that's coming from at the executive level within City, but somebody gave a directive that they need more exposure. And so they seem to be thrashing around trying to get into the custody space, trying to back certain companies. Their, their analysts keep making comments about how high Bitcoin can go, even though they knew nothing about Bitcoin like three weeks ago. Um, so I wouldn't read too much into anything related to any of the banks, because frankly, none of the banks have proven 
the big U.S. banks at least have proven to have any real expertise in the space. They'll come when the hedge funds are clamoring for services, but the moment the price goes down, they seem to disappear. Um, so I, I wouldn't read into that. I would focus more on whether Nexo itself is actually solvent and what kind of lending they've done behind the scenes. And if there's real risk there, again, um, my vote would be to remove uh, your capital from all of these centralized lending platforms if you haven't already. Yeah. I would agree with would agree with that statement. And what about the big news that broke this week with um, the first um, short ETF that uh, Gensler just approved on Bitcoin? What's your thoughts on that? Is that uh, is that bullish or is that bearish or is it uh, neutral? I mean, it could be it could be bullish, right? Uh, just because usually by the time a short ETF comes out, uh, right, most of the move is is sort of over. Uh, Michael Sonnenschein, the CEO of Grayscale, actually put out a, a tweet storm arguing that it was actually uh, bullish. But I think the SEC regulation angle is actually the more interesting one. And just that the SEC is allowing these futures based at what I call garbage products with 10, 15 mm-hmm. percent fully loaded cost. When you when you look at the, the cost of rolling those contracts every month, um, it, it's just kind of ridiculous that they would allow those uh, products to exist, but they wouldn't allow the biggest Bitcoin fund, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, to just convert to an ETF and remove the discount from NAV that the fund is currently trading at. I mean, that would help so many more people than giving uh, the general public another vehicle to to speculate with and to yeah. trade with. De- and degenerate gamblers. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy. It's absolutely, I almost, I'm starting to think the SEC is trying to hurt the public through some of these actions because it actually makes no logical sense why you would allow a futures-based short product before you'd allow a spot ETF. Well, I think you could look at most of the SEC's actions and probably draw that conclusion. Just look at the uh, accredited investor rule, for example, right? So they can't get into the early round deals, but they can get dumped on by retail as soon as it goes public. I mean, it's. Uh, I think you could probably draw that conclusion with most of them. And I think if you look at um, Gary Gensler, head of the SEC, I mean, he obviously knows Bitcoin. He was teaching at MIT. He gets it. He's, you know, he's quoted Satoshi. He seems like he gets it. So then you kind of have to look at that and then look at his actions and then think like um with these synthetic you know degenerate gambling you know naked shorting for example that they're bringing out or even this these long synthetics or whatever it's like almost like it hurts the cryptocurrency space more and even potentially hurts bitcoin so like are they doing it maybe as the way for the government to kind of attack bitcoin and crypto potentially um or maybe he doesn't want to have a physical so he can encourage people to buy the physical i don't know it's it's interesting it could go either way i guess yeah, I mean, I actually think it's probably more ineptitude um, than than conscious effort to destroy Bitcoin. Like, I honestly don't think the government's smart enough to do that. What about um, for somebody like myself and probably yourself as well? <clears throat> not trying to put words in your mouth, but you know, a Michael Saylor type. Right? I'm I'm long Bitcoin. I'm going to hold Bitcoin. I want my grandkids to own my Bitcoin. I'm never going to sell. So I'm not trying to trade it. I'm not trying to sell at the peaks and rebuy back at the dips, etc. You think having a shorting ETF could be beneficial in that type of environment where I don't want to sell my Bitcoin um, at the top, but I could take a little leverage on the short to protect myself on the downside? I think net of all the expenses and the potential taxes on that, you'll find most people over a 10-year period come out behind. Hmm. Any trading at all generally is going to be a drag on long-term returns, especially for an asset like Bitcoin that has the potential to compound at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% a year across a decade. So my advice is never going to change on that, no matter how many newfangled 
uh, products that Wall Street comes out with to try to tempt people to trade more, or tempt people to hedge more or whatever. The vast majority of people will not use those products properly, no matter how hard they try. And they'll end up poorer and worse off by even using them at all. Yeah. So uh, for the listeners, what Mike's referring to is that I believe on this uh, short fund, they recalculate on a monthly basis and then they put the fees at about 2% per month. So over the course of the year, it costs you between 10 to 15% in fees. And so you're going to have to beat that just to break even on that. And then on top of that, if you have profits, you have to pay taxes on that as well. <clears throat> so when you net out the fees and the taxes, like it's pretty hard to get ahead, I guess. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah. I'm saying the stated expense ratios are always lower, right? They're not going to tell you 10 or 15%, but the cost of rolling because the futures contracts and the contango, right. That, that happens sometimes in these contracts as the prices change across those months, as you look out and just the trading fees that are internal to the fund, the market impact of those trades. Um, that's what creates the real cost versus just holding spot Bitcoin. Most people should just buy Bitcoin, uh, put it in cold storage, leave it alone. Don't try to lever it. Don't try to earn yield on it. Don't use any other products. Just hold Bitcoin and leave it alone for five or 10 years. That's the only way that I can sort of make a sort of assurance to somebody that I think they'll do pretty well. As soon as they start bringing in options, uh, leverage, uh, ETFs with futures, et cetera, there's a good chance they're going to mess something up. Yeah. Brings me back to a quote from Warren Buffett's partner, Charlie Munger. He says that the big money isn't made in the buying and the selling. The big money is made in the waiting. So you wait for the right opportunity, and then you wait for that opportunity to come to fruition. And uh, to what Mike is saying, Bitcoin has averaged, I mean, it had been averaging a 200% annual compounded growth rate. Um, even if that slows down to half of that, or even a, a quarter of that, 50 times, I mean, it's still still amazing. And so just wait, just wait it out. Um, that's That's been my approach as well. And it, it seemed to work out pretty good. It, sometimes it doesn't look perfect, but uh, like right now, but uh, over the long run, if you zoom out, it's been pretty good. I've been buying since 2015, so it's worked out. Um, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. I've been in the studio with Mike Alfred. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Mike Alfred, talking about uh, the... The contagion that we've seen in this crypto lending space. Uh, word of the word, word to you uh, from Mike is: get your money out of those platforms. You're on there. That's what I got for you today. Thanks for listening to the Mark Moss Show. Until next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury: the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.